Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Peter Mullen, the CMO of Interactions. And if I can sum up Peter and this episode in one word, it's communicator. This is all about how we communicate, how we communicate with our teams, how communication is really the core of how we interact with our customer base. And we hit on this in a couple of ways. One, Peter's career, which is truly interesting, starting off in the area of journalism and entering into covering technology through Gartner, evolving to working with Netflix before they were even streaming, but rather mailing out DVDs. And now today, as I said, being the CMO of a company, it's all about the way we interact with our customers. Now, you can relate to this if you've ever picked up the phone and called and worked through a phone tree versus talked to these days more of a robot or bot that's using AI. And Peter talks about the trends and the expectations of the customer and what we need to do as the marketer to meet that customer to deliver an amazing customer experience. Again, this is all about communication. So without further ado, here's my chat with Peter. Peter, I'm so excited to have you here. And I look at your career just on LinkedIn and, and it's amazing. You've been with some amazing companies, Netflix, Comcast, you know, CMO of Interactions. But I look back to the beginning and you probably taking some sort of chance to jump out to Europe, you know, be a journalist. Did you envision going down the marketing path? Hey, it is great to be here. And absolutely no. If you would have asked me 25 years ago what I would be. I would be a best-selling novelist working somewhere remote with a palm tree outside my window. Um, but that's not where I am today. And Well, you have part of that nailed, right? I think you did do the best-selling author piece. So congrats on that. But you know, I don't know where you are from a palm tree perspective. <laughs> today, I'm talking to you from Lake Tahoe. I live in the Bay Area and I don't have a palm tree, but I have a set of gorgeous pines right outside the window. Not bad. Randy, let me tell you how I got here today. And you asked me a question before this interview began about the simple steps that I have taken to become CMO of Interactions. And that was a wonderful exercise for me to sit back and reverse engineer how I got here. And I think this is really instructive because my path has been both directional, but also has had serendipity and some circuitous elements to it. So uh, you mentioned that I was a journalist and a writer. So I graduated from college back in the early 90s, and I was an English major with a minor in creative writing. So I was a communicator, and I still am today. I put on a backpack, and I put half the money that I had in my life in my left shoe and the other half in my right shoe, and I moved to Italy. I happened to have done an abroad program. So I understood the language. I worked for a year with the Associated Press, an incredible experience. And that was the first rung in a ladder. And this ladder that has taken me over the past 25 years to where I am today had a number of intentional ring rungs on it as well as some unexpected rungs on it. But starting in that first point, 
what I did when I reverse engineered the journey is really look at what has been important with each step. So in the case of moving to a foreign country, it gave me, I believe, this incredible sense of empathy of working with other people. When I speak to somebody who has an accent, regardless of the circumstances of the socioeconomic situation or anything else, that they have probably worked slightly harder than I have to get to where they are right now today. It, it, it has created a wonderful grounding and foundation, I believe, for me, because the world has accelerated so incredibly much and we have become so much tighter as a global community over the past two decades. It, I believe that's an essential skill set to have a sense of global understanding that is led with empathy. In my life, I ended, I was on, in the East Coast as a writer when I returned to America. I moved to Silicon Valley, uh, and this rung in my ladder was for love. I followed my wife, who is a physician, and she was doing her residency at Stanford. So purely by happenstance, a communicator and a journalist landed in Silicon Valley the month in 1995 that Netscape went public. Everything changed when Netscape went public. And for me, I was able to quickly understand that this was a significant transformation for all of us. I was able to translate my writing to working for Gartner, one of the largest analyst firms in the world. And Gartner today has the stamp of authority across all of tech. I worked for Gartner as a writer slash editor for a period of time and then translated that into working for a couple startups. But in the meantime, the love of writing and communicating had stayed around. I was able to write a book called Gold in the Water, which followed a group of Olympic swimmers. I have a deep background in swimming myself. I followed this group for a two-year journey on what it takes to be the top 1% in the world. And along the way, like business, there were multiple setbacks, multiple changes, transitions, and there were several extraordinary triumphs. Book itself, ended up being a bestseller as a sports category, ended up getting a lot of accolades, ended up becoming a documentary um, 20 years later. And in, it moved a lot of people. It didn't change me from a financial standpoint. It wasn't meant to. Uh, but it ended up becoming a North Star for an entire generation of swimmers to look at and understand that the struggles, the hopes, the joys that they all experience are universal from the top to the bottom, from the fastest, the best in the world, all the way down to wherever they might be somewhere in the world. Um, I wrote that book specifically for an 18-year-old kid working somewhere uh, in a pool by himself in the Midwest where nobody understood how much he loved and cared about it. So, Peter, let me let me stop you there just for a moment because I'm curious. I mean, this is a an interesting, you called them rungs, but I'm going to call it a fork in terms of where your career could have gone next. I mean, this is like Y2K time frame. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going one way or another. And as you tell this, I'm, I'm hearing someone who could either go down the road of being a storyteller or someone who could go down the road of being, I'm going to call it a communicator, which was the word that you used right out of the gate. And, and how did you decide what was next when you went down the path of Netflix? Randy, it is a fantastic question because all of us are going to be having forks like this. Uh, you are spot on. I joined Netflix after this book came out because despite all the personal success and joy that I had with this, I understood that if I took that fork of becoming a full-time writer, that it was going to be a diminished opportunity. While I took another fork, joining Netflix, one of the greatest companies of the past 50 years, because I saw this enormous opportunity to 
get into the flow of change and move at the scale of hundreds of millions. You could see that all the way back when Netflix was just starting and the dream that Reed Hastings uh, developed all was so clear to us, even in the early days. I joined when DVDs were still being pushed through the mail. I was part of the IPO um, and stayed with them for a period of time afterwards. I ran um, public relations for a period of time. That was a tremendous fork in the road, Randy. And it is what then propelled me with everything else that I have done since. Interesting. And and we're going to fast forward through some of those, but there's some amazing brands beyond Netflix that you've gotten to work with, including Comcast, which I believe happened through an acquisition. But a lot of these roles became more and more, not just PR um, and not just communications, but getting into elements of communicating product value as well. Is that fair way to extend how that evolved? It, it absolutely is. Like all of us will enter into the workforce with one skill set, and then our job is to expand horizontally and vertically so we can acquire a wider range of skills. It, you commonly hear it as becoming a full, uh, a full stack marketer. Uh, in my case, I use communications, which then moved from writing into PR, which then became outreach, which then grew into working with a handful of startups, one of which was based inside a, uh, a park laboratory, Park Innovation Center, which is where the mouse was created, where the laser jet was created, hundreds of incredible innovations. It was also very deep technology, a small startup that we spun out that was acquired by Comcast. So at that point, I had moved that bundle of skill sets into product marketing. I was able to be that bridge between the tech guys who were talking in zeros and ones and the communicators who were talking in lyrical ways and trying to attach stories to it. By becoming that bridge, you become essential with uh, all the teams that you're working for. We then joined uh, Comcast, and the incredible journey that I had there was that we entered Comcast as a team of 15 with a technology that ultimately, to fast forward, is now being used by more than 200 people every single day of the year. The job that I had there was to now expand the skill set from communicating to product marketing to evangelizing and to connecting all the dots. So in my journey, that became a wonderful way of understanding as technology is accelerating for all of us, how incredibly important it is to make sure that every person inside your company and then ultimately outside the company understand the value of what you're bringing to the marketplace. So. As I said, we're going to fast forward through some of these rungs in the ladder and you know, let's come to modern day where you've had a number of roles prior to this overseeing marketing as a VP. This is your first CMO opportunity. And I'm curious, as, as you described you know, so beautifully a moment ago, this idea that we come in with a skill and we have to broaden that and figure out how to, how to expand our ability to contribute. How do you empower that as a CMO today? And, and you and I had a really fun conversation about this before the podcast today, just in terms of how we do this even more so when we're not always face-to-face -face with our teams. Let me use the metaphor of the rungs on the ladder. And I actually introduce each new team member with a PowerPoint that has a, an image of a ladder. It's the same ladder for every single person. And we actually start in the first day in the first half hour talking about what they're doing at my company, what they're doing for themselves, what they're doing for me, what they're doing for the company itself, because all of these are really, really important. It's my job as a CMO, and it should be the job of every CMO 
to empower all the people on the team. So they're going to be incredibly successful both in the short term and over the next decade or three decades of their career. That's where we are going to get our superpowers from by extracting that type of enthusiasm from the team because the team knows what it's doing and they know that their boss has their back. So we're in a crazy world right now of a post-COVID um, environment that's not going to go back to the same. Technology continues to accelerate. I know we'll touch on that in a minute. We have environments that are hybrid, remote, and coming back to full-time in the office. All of these require a ton of skill setting and an understanding of the complexity that is going on. Um, I find it fascinating. I also find it incredibly important that as leaders, we need to have 10 or 15% of our job in our weeks thoughtful about how we do this. And, you know, there are simple things that are, are very obvious to a lot of us. Our teammates are either going to be introverted or extroverted. If you're extroverted, you're going to gain power, energy, enthusiasm by working on Zoom or in person with your teammates. If you are introverted, you need that time to step away. And I, the, the flatness of the two-dimensional screens that we're all engaging with right now doesn't always afford that. So as a leader, you got to be sensitive to how to understand each part of your team and how to maximize their superpowers in the right way. Interesting. I think that's a really adaptive way to approach being a leader approach being a CMO and and guide people to, as you said, that next rung in the ladder. I, I definitely want to hit on the idea of the ways in which we can communicate today and you know the, the technologies that are out there. But we're going to take a break here. We'll come back to that as we talk about your buyer journey and the realities of the product as well that Interactions is pioneering in the market right after this break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I really appreciated how Peter walked through how he onboards new members of his team, getting them to walk through their life cycle in their career and how they progress to where they are today. I think it's important that we understand our team, both as teammates as well as leaders. Now, one of the things I've done that's a really great exercise is get people to plot this as almost a life cycle of ups and downs. It also introduces this element of vulnerability and gets people to share what were the high points, what were the low points. When we understand what motivates them, similar to you hear Peter talk about this idea of introverts and extroverts, we start to understand how to better weave them in to what we're building as a marketing organization. Peter, I, I will be very honest, not just with you, but with everyone. There is a vendor who I always have to return packages with. 
and it's unimportant who the vendor is because I hate, you know, being a, a public hater, but it is the worst part of my month when I have to return this package because I know I have to go through this phone tree that is completely logical, completely robotic. And I know that I know what I would have to say, but I have to wait till I can say it. And I have to wait through this painful process. And I feel like you're on the forefront of, of really being able to change that and not just you, but the realities of AI today. And maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, the power of communication. I am a subject matter expert in this, which means I am very fun at cocktail parties to talk about challenging customer experiences. Ready? Um, let me set context. So Interactions, the company uh, that I work with, is a $100 billion ARR company, and it provides customer support experiences for Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies. We are at the digital front door of your customer experience. They call this omni-channel these days because... The modern uh, customer experience can happen by voice, by chat, by you know web fill-out form, any other methodology. Omnichannel is the world that you live in, and it's also an asynchronous, a really important word in our industry world today. And what that means, Randy, is that when you're having that type of frustration, you should fluidly be able to do it from your phone. Then you move over to your computer, you continue the conversation on your desktop, and now you have to get in the car and drive somewhere, and you should be able to complete it successfully via text. That's a beautiful type of experience. But um, all without yelling, right? Oh, all without yelling. Oh my God, Randy, <laughs> we we have a survey that is coming out in early June, and we uh, talked to a thousand consumers about their impressions of customer experience in 2023. Randy, 33 percent of them admitted swearing at a robot in the last year. That's where oh, we yeah. are with this. Because I think it's just, it's almost like I will I won't swear at people and I won't yell at people. I, they're doing their job, even if they're not doing it well. But if it's a robot, like is that not fair game? Gloves are off, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, and to put context in this, you know that push button experience that you have if you're having to make a phone call. Uh, that technology debuted days before JFK was assassinated in 1963. That's how old the tech is. And for many of the experiences we all have, regardless of the vendor, there needs to be a lot of catch up. So the world that we're in today, Interactions is a company that is at the forefront of providing a better experience. When you call one of our clients, the typical initial prompt is something like this. How can we help you today? I understand natural language. So we're one of those providers, one of the few. Uh, that is a game changer across all of CX. Most of the industry, however, has to catch up. So I want to take this not just to, you know, the level of, okay, conversational uh, marketing and, and how we greet from a CX perspective, but, but let's weave it into how do we balance this with real people? Um, because one of the things that I think about a lot in a buyer journey is that we can handle a lot of scale with solutions like what you're offering. But at some point, I believe, and I don't know if you agree, that there is a need for a sales rep to get involved. And, and I'm wondering where you think that line is and where the proper crossover exists. The demands that you and I have today are insanely customized and personalized because of that wonderful computer that you have in your pocket or in your purse. We have been trained behaviorally now to have personalized experiences with everything that we do. Customer support has not 
come close to that for most companies today. Randy, Randy here, here's how I think about this. The most important thing any business can do, regardless of the vertical category it's in, is build trust with its consumer base. That trust is going to lead to confidence. It's not even a flywheel. It is simply a straight line. Give me trust. I will have confidence. I will stay with your product. Oh, close to 80% of all consumers will ditch a brand after one negative experience. When you have that kind of incredible bounty of choice, you can go wherever you want. So if you are the brand that is trying to support millions of customers, you've got to get it right. So you, you brought in a really important word, the, the human. And where does the human fit in all of this? So there is a number of theses out there uh, that every brand is trying to grapple with. How much technology do we use? Where can we automate? Where can we cut back operationally to have greater efficiencies? My thesis and the thesis of interactions is that there must always be a human engaged in the process of delivering exceptional experiences. And in this new dawn of generative AI, which is truly probably the most important game changer any of us have ever seen, it is here to stay and it's going to change everything. Nonetheless, we believe, I deeply believe that this is more important than ever to make sure that there's the soft touch of a human guiding us through all of these customer experiences, but overall these all, all the buyer journey experience and then the buyer delight experience after a purchase has been made. Interesting. So I, I think historically we've thought of, of these bots or these robots and machines that answer calls and answer our, our chat online is something that is really there to route us, you know, historically, you know, get me to the next step. But it, as you said, with generative AI, I think there is this potential to start to actually solve problems and be able to say that I, using your word of trust, I can build trust with you because I can actually leverage, I'm going to use it, the word content here from a thought leadership perspective, because they can start to process all this data and actually give more in-depth answers. Where do you think we are in terms of leveraging thought leadership into these robotic conversations? Yeah, it's, it is at a breaking point. And to put stats on what you just said, here, here's some really important one. Right now, across all brands, the average moment of frustration happens after 1.5 engagements that you will have. 1.5 utterances, 1.5 exchanges on a chat, etc. Um, if I can get you past that moment of frustration and get you into utterance slash engagement number two, three, four, I am now routing you into specificity, personalization, customization. Ultimately, most customer challenges are solved between six and eight engagement cycles. So now it's very important I just share those numbers with you because now you can go back to your personal experiences and see if that is, is true. Come back to me and tell me if it is. If I can get you to six experiences and you have had your situation resolved, whether it's returning a package, um, resetting a hotel reservation that you now have to make some changes on, and if I can do it efficiently, I can do it without you having to get routed to a human being somewhere in the world who then has to ask for your information all over again and start you over. I'm giving you a happier experience. You're going to leave that engagement feeling more satisfied overall. And we're going to add all kinds of operational efficiencies to that because you're not going to have to go through that long, laborious process of having to explain yourself two or three times. That's the, in a high level, the holy grail of what everyone in customer experience 
it's trying to push toward and get to. So it's really interesting. And and I'm reminding myself as I hear you describe this, that you're talking more about a consumer purchase behavior. I'm, I'm curious how you think, not necessarily in the world of interactions, given who you're serving, but in more of a B2B sales process. So the, the way you're even selling to some of these vendors, where are you introducing that human? And not just the human, but this mindset of I've got really valuable content, thought leadership, blog posts, videos that I want to send you. Is that something that you're experimenting with letting the bot direct towards? Or is that where the rep adds their most intimate understanding? Yeah, it's so there's a bunch of what you just said. So if we want to talk about personalization, customization, it is happening. That's the direction we're going. Now, cyclically, we are in a moment where businesses are cutting back both B2B and B2C at, at strong levels. And that seems to be continuing. We're uh, seeing budgets cut. And then we're also seeing in the post-COVID world that the buyers and the stakeholders, the influencers have expanded in some ways exponentially. It is extremely easy to look across categories that I'm selling into and realize that three years ago, there were six stakeholder groups. And now there are many times more than a dozen. Not only that, those outer six that have just come in, going from six to 12, those six can have a veto vote of no with anything that I'm trying to do. So how do we think about this as we're trying to sell? Here's how I do it. We are going to these Fortune 500 companies and we are emphasizing the fact that they have fallen behind in most cases. That customer feedback is at a 22-year low across all surveys. And what happened 22 years ago? That was post 9-11. We have customers more frustrated than they have been in two decades. We have operational um, cost constraints that are a very real thing. We have expanded stakeholder groups. I penetrate into those markets using that formula of trust and confidence. That's my North Star. How do I get people into one-to-one -one communications with me as quickly as possible? Because I have a white glove concierge service that I need to sell in a one-to-few modeling. So everything I do, whether it is outbound campaigns, whether it is statistical lead generation that we are tracking on an hourly or weekly basis, um, or whether it is events where we're choosing what is the talk track for evangelism, all of that is pointing to the North Star of building the trust factor that then is going to lead to the confidence in a one-to-few conversation modality. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, there's so much to unpack there, but it's it's a really interesting thought to, to leave us on here in terms of you know, where we need to take the next step in terms of evolution and not just because of the technology, but it, I think you outlined really well the realities of the market we're in where, you know, the cuts that are happening and the AI factor may make this the best time ever to start investing in these categories. So Peter, we're going to keep you around. I got a, a few more questions for you, more rapid fire style right after this last break. Earlier in this segment, you heard me say that I got extremely frustrated with one of these phone trees where we select a number of options or we speak and then we ultimately get connected to someone who doesn't even know what we selected. Pure frustration. In contrast, I dealt with a different vendor, dialed the number. As soon as they picked up, they said, in an automated way, we believe you're at this address. We expect you're looking for a pickup. Are we correct? As soon as I said yes, they told me that someone would be there between 9 to 5, and if that's not what I wanted, just say so. 
That's the expectation we want. We want companies to be able to solve our problem, whether it's an email, whether it's a bot like I just described. And I think the next level of that is starting to infuse content into these conversations. Now, some of the buyer journeys that a lot of us may be trying to guide may be more complex than a simple phone call. And that's where content marketing needs to weave in to be automated. Can we serve the right content, not just through reps who compile it, but by leveraging AI to actually serve the right content to the right person at the right time based on the information they give? You give that, you'll get less frustration and more pure delight. Peter, this has been such an interesting conversation, and I'm I'm curious just some of your takeaways for our listeners. I mean, you said yourself, you never thought you'd be a marketer, let alone a CMO. But what is the one skill that someone should really double down on to be a great CMO today? The ability to multitask and the ability to prioritize the tasks within the list between must-do, that has long-term transformational impact and then everything else underneath it is what you do when you have spare time that's that's great advice i mean sooner soon enough we'll probably have some sort of uh to do robot to do that for us but uh you know based on our conversation today but until then someone's got to figure out how to do that themselves you know let's let's go down the the path of content which we we touched on a little bit and and i'm curious for you Beyond everything we we talked about in terms of how we're communicated with, what type of content really is it that you're looking for today when you're buying solutions? I'm looking for something that's personalized to my situation. I scan hundreds of pieces of content per week, uh, both for personal and for work. It has got to be topical. It's got to take the extra time to think about my circumstance. And it's got to hit on if this is the hardest part as marketers, it's got to hit me when I need to see it. That's re- really well put. And, and I'm curious, where do you expect to get that? Are, are you expecting to be able to go to a company's website and find that? Or is that more something you want served to you by a sales rep? What is your expectation for, and I'm going to use that word personalized that you said, because there's a balance between getting something personalized and finding something that's personalized. There's a revolution going on right now that people are very aware of because we're living inside it. And it's this, the B2B selling model is transforming almost by the quarter. What has worked for the past, say, 50 years or 200 years is not working today. What is working is this multi-touch point personalized experience that is built on trust and built on confidence. To me, in practical sense, the best companies that are doing that are the ones that are touching base with me to see how they can be helpful, are touch, are not pushing me to sell, are directing me to that topical content when uh, they are trying to discover if the time is right for me. But if it's not, they are then backing off. They are offering me opportunities to go have a drink with them at events where they're not selling to me, but I'm sitting in a lounge and I'm pure networking. Uh, one of the neatest things that came out of COVID is these virtual networking groups that have sprouted up all over the world They're strong, they're powerful. And if you think about them, no one is selling to each other. Everyone is accumulating advice and sharing and collaborative, uh, spirited back and forth. That's what the brands need to be doing right now 
to understand what we care most about and just give us that sense of trust so then we can move forward into the buying cycle with you. Really interesting. That's uh, really well put. And uh, I think, as, as you said, it's it's not earlier. It's, it, it is a very linear path. And, and understanding that someone needs you at these various points along that path is so important. And, and I think you've highlighted some of the more modern ways that, that we need to be doing that. Now, as much as you got to be always on, I've I'm, I'm got the toughest question for you today, and that's how do you break? How do you take balance for yourself, for family, for your health uh, to ensure that you don't get absorbed by all these virtual groups that are out there? You know, last night at seven o'clock, a virtual group popped up on my screen. It was starting in Wellington, New Zealand, and I really wanted to go. And my wife said, get on your bike and go out and enjoy the last hour before the sun goes down. Thank God she did that. So I break by doing a lot of sports. So I I have a deep sports background. I was a swimmer in college. I swam um, marathons, believe it or not, in oceans, rivers, and lakes for multiple years after I graduated on a circuit. And I degas, that's an old fashioned word of clearing your screen, your CRT screen. I, I refresh myself by sports. And what I have found is that uh, the ability to meditate, the ability to unlock your brain is where some of the best ideas come from. So it actually has this wonderful ability to refresh me, but also typically to bring my best ideas back into the office. Interesting. I, you know, I always hear people talk about sports and different things in terms of what it means for themselves. But I I think you're right. When we have that clear mind, we have the opportunity to be sometimes our most productive self, uh, both for our personal needs and for our work needs. So it's a, it's a great way to, to really tie it all back together. And, and, you know, the reality is that balance as many people say is not uh, necessarily ever skewing in one direction. It's how you balance the two at the same time. Peter, this has been such a great conversation. Uh, I'm glad that we we were able to have it. Uh, you know, I know the bots one day are going to do their own podcast, but for now, uh, this this was great and and so much uh, perspective around the type of trust and confidence that we need to build for uh, buyers along that journey. I can't thank you enough. If if people are tuning into this episode as their first, uh, go check out all the other amazing Samo journeys. Everyone's is unique and different. And as you take your own, you know, path up the ladder using Peter's analogy, uh, realize that there's going to be a lot of forks and there's not one way up to the top. Uh, thanks so much. This has been the Marketer's Journey. And a big thanks to Peter Mullen. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 